Welcome to Mind Love, episode 118. Today's episode is all about creating your story. I don't want to discount and say, hey, everybody, it's as easy as sit down and change your perspective and you can have a new story. I realize that there are real issues out in the world, that there are painful things happening to people, that there is work that needs to be done in so many places. So I don't want to minimize anything that anyone is going through and say, oh, sit down and grab a pen and write a new story, everybody, and all the things troubling you will go away. That's not true at all. And I realize that. I do think that even in those cases, even in a therapeutic environment, there's probably something really beneficial about sitting down and saying, okay, what is going on right now? What are the facts? What's actually happening? What do I know to be true? And think about what is the story we want to create? What is the story we're creating now? And realizing that what happened to you is just what happened to you. It does not your story. Your history is not your story. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hi, friends and wild people. First off, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, please hit the subscribe button. More subscribers means even better guests and tons more value. Plus, it helps me grow the show so more people can find it. And if you ask me, everyone could use a little more mind love. Let me ask you this. What's your story? Have you thought about that? Do you even know? Can you see the bigger picture of your life so far? Maybe you have things in your past that you don't want to look at, and I get that. But there is value in understanding where you came from and then letting that guide where you're going. There's a great quote by Steve Jobs that says, You can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever. Because believing that the dots will connect down the road will give you the confidence to follow your heart even when it leads you off the well-worn path. And that will make all the difference. What Steve Jobs is saying is true. I had no idea while things were happening what it was going to lead me to. And it wasn't until I started to review and reflect back on that that I started to find that through line. As I've moved through my own story, I've had conflicting feelings on looking back at the whole thing. I think I was going through all the stages of grief, actually. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, and then finally, eventually, hope. And I'll tell you, that denial stage was real. I felt happier and more in control just trying to pretend like things never even happened, trying to rewrite my story or maybe burn a few chapters. And the key is, I thought I was happier. But what I didn't know is that without addressing those things, they were subconsciously dictating my life. And then I got to a place where I could own all the parts of my story, but I couldn't find that through line. I've told this bit before, but it's really fitting here. My mom used to tell me that one day this will all make for a really good book. And I'd say, yeah, but the bigger story doesn't make sense. It would be more like chicken soup for the fucked up soul where every chapter is a new unrelated lesson. What I didn't understand at the time is that it was up to me to find that deeper meaning. It was up to me to find the reasoning through my own story. And it's not always just going to come to you like some magical light bulb moment. 
Well, by the time I started Mind Love, by the time I started this show, I had done a lot of healing. But this new chapter was when I started telling my story. Piece by piece, it started coming out in episodes, and I started to see the things that I had been ignoring, and I got even more curious why this all happened. What was the root of my issues? What did sexual assault and an eating disorder and addiction and escaping and an abusive relationship all have in common? Well, last year, a huge piece of my healing came when I began to understand the why in what has created this Melissa that I am today. I enrolled in this public speaking graduate program, and I had to figure out how to tell my story in a way that was not only concise and entertaining, but relatable. Where my story wasn't just about me anymore, it was about the deeper meaning, about who I could help. And through this, I found my value in a whole new way. It's like it cracked me open one more time, only this time I could put the pieces back together. This time I could figure out how my past influenced my future and use it to cultivate healing on a grander scale outside of myself. And get this, finding your story helps more than just with your own healing. It's actually a key component to success. It's how you connect with and inspire other people to take action in their own lives. People don't take action based on logic. It all comes down to emotion. The logic is just the reinforcement. So this episode is great for those of you who want to connect with your deeper meaning, but it'll have an even greater kick for those of you on the entrepreneurial path. And our guest is Mike Ganino. He is a storytelling and communication expert who helps executives and teams and thought leaders communicate, connect, and engage. Mike is super fun. He's a friend of mine, and I know you'll love his high energy because it just fires you up to rewrite your own stories. Three key things we will learn are how knowing your story helps inspire your purpose, how to rewrite your story for healing and how to tell your story in a way that inspires others rather than being self-indulgent. But before we dive in, do you want to know one of the best ways to connect with yourself on a deeper level with thought-provoking prompts and questions and different ways to look at the world? Sign up for the Morning Mind Love for daily inspirational emails right to your inbox. I get messages from people every single day about how the Morning Mind Love is their favorite way to start the day, or that the message that came through is exactly what they needed to hear. Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. Plus, you'll get some amazing free gifts when you do. You'll get a free guided binaural affirmation meditation designed to rewire your brain to your highest self. And you'll get one of my favorite tools, a really cool booklet of Powerless to help you gain clarity and live with intention. And it's all completely free. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word morning to 33777. That's morning to 33777. And now let's welcome Mike Ganino to the show. Thanks for having me. So you're all about telling the right story. So let's start with yours. How did you get to where you are right now? Well, once upon a time, there was a little boy. I grew up, my mom and dad were, were teenagers. My mom was 15 when I was born. And there's all the statistics about what uh, being a teen mom and being the kid of a teen mom are, and most of those came true for us. And I always was obsessed with 
we get to tell ourselves stories. We tell ourselves stories about our own worth. We tell ourselves stories about where we belong and what kinds of things people like us are allowed to do. And then we also tell other people stories. And then ultimately, there are the stories that those people tell about us. And I realized that really young, that there was power in that. If you could start to own your story, if you could start to weave it, because the things that happen to us, that's not our story. Those are just things that happened. What we make those things mean, that's our story. And so I kind of always had that in my head that we could create some of this and we could look at the same thing and look at it from a different lens and create an entirely different story from the same happenings. And so that led me to college. I went to college for broadcast journalism, dropped out because I wanted to be an actor. I don't know. I wasn't a good actor. So I ended up waiting tables <laughs> and working in the restaurant industry like most people. Found my way to improv as well. So I've trained at Second City and Improv Olympic and all the different schools and all the different places. And I got really good at the restaurant side of things. I realized that a huge part of hospitality was taking care of people, was creating theater for them. And so I got really good at the hospitality side and eventually became a director of training and head of HR and then ended up being a partner in a concept that we grew to about 15 locations, sold to a private equity firm. And I woke up in 2014 and said, okay, well, what's next? And I knew I didn't want to do that again. So I went out on the road and that's when I started doing consulting. Oh my gosh. And I was the worst consultant, Melissa, ever, because I'm really, really great when I'm in the room. If you get me in the room, I will serve, I will deliver. But if I owe you anything, if I'm supposed to like write something up and send it to you, if I'm supposed to just remember to like send you a file that I already wrote, it's just never going to happen. I'm, <laughs> I've had to get really good at setting up like auto sequences when I speak and I invite people to join my newsletter or something like that. I've had to get really good at like delivering them whatever it was automatically because if I don't, they'll just never get it. And I realized I'm going to go broke as a consultant if I keep doing that because <laughs> nobody's going to pay a consultant who doesn't actually send them the things they did. So I thought maybe I could sell workshops and that worked out really well. They got me when I was in the room. I helped their team. That led to speaking and then eventually to coaching people on telling their own stories on stage and the different places in their life. And then led me here to you. And one of my favorite podcasts, by the way, I was digging around on your website this morning and I thought, this website is exactly Melissa. It like screams you. It's so pleasant and lovely <laughs> and wonderful. And so, uh, so yeah, that's how I got here today. Awesome. Yeah. I'll have to tell my husband about that. He creates all my web stuff, which is amazing because he knows me pretty well. <laughs> oh, wait. That's probably why it's so perfect is because there's no like translation issue between you and a designer because the designer literally has an inside glimpse into your life. Well, it's interesting because part of my entrepreneurial journey has been like learning to create processes around my life and my business. They both kind of go together. A lot of times when I'm doing something for my business, I'm like, wow, this is so applicable to my life. And one of the processes that my husband has developed while we were together around creating a website is figuring out how to translate what is in the client's mind and getting it on the page. And so it goes through all these iterations about asking like, what else do you like? What looks good to you? And it's just funny because I remember he was doing this process for me and I'm like, I am able to drill down what is really representative of me visually so much by exploring my other passions. And it helped me get clear even on like other parts of my life. Have you ever had that happen to you before? It's like these weird forms of therapy that you don't expect to happen. And then they totally happen. I was just posting, today is my, uh, the day we're recording this, not the day you're listening to it, is my anniversary. It's my fifth wedding anniversary. Ooh. And this year we were in Edinburgh. My husband joined me. I was on like a walkabout, a six-week trip in Europe. And my husband joined me for the end of it. And we were in Edinburgh and I had scheduled to do these like couple photos 
And he had wanted to do other things, but it was like, no, we already like booked this photographer. So we've got to go. So we like got in a fight and then we go and they're like, okay, great. Here's what you're going to do. The very first thing you're going to do, we were out walking around Edinburgh in Scotland. And they're like, you're going to hold each other's hands and look at each other's eye. And I was like, well, this is strange because we were just like fighting in the Airbnb with each other, (laughs) walking over here to this park, not speaking. And now we're staring into each other's eyes. And it was like, well, this is a form of therapy. And so in a weird way, that was my therapy. I was thinking about that today when I was writing, I was writing, you know, something to post on social about our anniversary and relationships and stuff. And so I started thinking about this exact question of like, well, where are all of the places that we kind of unexpectedly learn about ourselves? And, And I think one of them is design. I, I did this with my designer who did my website and did the design for my upcoming podcast and all different things. And it was this process of understanding one, who am I? What am I about? But also understanding how do other people see me and what is it that they like most and how do I make sure that that's clear? And so it's such an interesting process to do that. And I think you know this too, writing a speech and figuring out what story do you have to tell people. That's another thing where sometimes it ends up being this weird therapeutic process where you think, I was here to give a talk on science and technology, and all of a sudden I'm dealing with stuff I haven't thought about in a while. Definitely. I thought that that speech for listeners out there, I met my company called Heroic Public Speaking. I've been talking about it a lot on this show, about really the tediousness, but also the transformation that happens with developing a story of that length, which is also why I have so much respect for those of you who've written books out there, because (laughs) I only had to do an hour long thing and books tend to be six to 16 hours, depending on how lengthy you want it to be. But what I found is that I had told that story that I told in my speech over and over and over again in my life. But when you have to create some sort of package, whether it's a workshop or an event or a book, you start to find the meaning even deeper than you ever thought you found it before. And I had to find meaning even just to get through my own story to survive (laughs) it. But in order to package it for other people to learn from too, it's like it took 10 extra layers of depth. Can you relate to that? And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. 
But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. It's so interesting, too, because when you're doing it in front of people, there's also this bit where you sit down to write a speech or you're writing a story that you want to tell. It's a big reason why sometimes people will come to me and they'll say, oh, I'm working on my about page and I've got that down. So can I just tell that story? And it's like, well, probably not, because the way we write is so different than the way we speak. But also the way we read is so different than the way we listen. And often what you have to do to be able to tell a really transformative story for yourself and for the audience live for oral storytelling is so different than what you would need to do in writing. Because in writing, remember, I can stop. If I need to think about what you said, I can go back and rewind it. But at this point in 2019, maybe at some point in the future, 2050 or something like that, we'll be able to rewind you live and go back five seconds or 10 seconds. But when we're listening to you, we really have to be able to follow you. And that requires, I think, the speaker and the storyteller to really get specific about what they mean because there's no option for the audience to rewind it, stop you, pause you, and think about it. You are in control of every single thing they feel. And I think that forces the speaker and the storyteller to kind of like slow down and say, okay, what do I want? Where am I taking them right here? And I think sometimes that forces us ourselves as the communicator to go deeper as well. So we all have stories, every single one of us. But whether you're reading it in a book or you are listening to a speech, how come some of them have such greater impact than other ones? There's a million reasons. Some of it is that it's the right audience, that it's just the right audience for that talk, that they're ready to hear it. And that's a huge part that we have to think about is because somebody asked me the other day about my about page because it says there are three stories that are going on. There's the stories we tell ourselves. There's the stories we tell our audience. And there's the stories that make our audience remember us and remember that moment. And so it isn't necessarily just about what you're saying. It's also about what they're hearing and what they remember, what they're moved by. And that really relies on what they walked in with. I mean, we're seeing this much broader than just public speakers and storytellers. We're seeing it with comedians, with politicians, with TV shows, where what they could say 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago isn't okay anymore because the context has changed. The world has shifted. And so what we used to think was okay is not okay anymore. And so that happens every time we're in front of an audience is where are they at? Because they bring a critical ingredient to the public speaking or the storytelling. So one is it's the right audience on the right day with the right context. Two, when people come to work with me and I'm helping them punch up a script. So punching up a script or punching up a story is about finding specificity because there's a big difference between when I woke up that day, I was really scared. There's a big difference between saying that and saying, when I woke up that day, I could tell by the way that my hands were shaking that something was changing in me. And I realized as I slowly walked through my house, looking at everything as if it was brand new and also being frightened and not sure where I was, that I needed to change. Those two things mean very different things. And the second one is more specific. And what's so interesting, Melissa, is that people sometimes are scared to be specific in their speeches or their stories or their writing because they think if I'm too specific, then if my audience hasn't had an experience exactly like mine, they're not going to understand it. So I'll be more general. But the opposite is true. When we're general, we force the audience to have to stop and think too much. They have to say, well, wait, scared. Like she was scared. Like what? Was she scared? Like was there someone in the room watching her? And so she was scared or was she scared of the potential? What was she scared of? 
But when we take them more specifically to what that was like, they're more easily able to say, oh, I see what that's like. That was like that one time this happened to me. Okay, I can listen because I understand what she's going through because I was there before. It's actually allows them to be much more empathetic to what was going on and it drops them into the story better. So that's almost always one of the things when I hear a great storyteller, it's almost always that they're providing just the right amount of specificity that we are able to put ourselves into that story. It's why we can watch TV shows that are eight seasons long about dragons and castles. And none of us are ever going to live in a dragon or castle, which is totally sad, by the way, I think. And I would love to live in a dragon or not live in a dragon. That's weird. I would love to live (laughs) in a castle with a dragon friend. None of us are going to do that, but we can all put ourselves into that because we felt betrayed. We felt unheard. We felt unseen. We felt all of those things. And so they tap into those emotions that we all feel. And that is why we clue into those characters, even if they're so far from us. There's still that vein of truth because there's enough specificity that we can say, I remember feeling that way. And that is great storytelling to me. I agree because it's also reminds me of just the power of visualization in general. A lot of what we talk about with this audience is about how when we're creating our futures is to get real specific and we can still be flexible if something changes, but when we're going forth on our goals, like picture what it would be like to be living that goal. Not only are you going to find clarity in how it feels in your life, if you're actually going to want to move through to that, but it helps you to attract more of those experiences or feel a little bit more confident when you're moving forward. And I was just interviewing a hypnotist named Joe Holmes on episode 108. And it was interesting because he was talking about why these certain visualizations work during the hypnosis process. And he gave an example of like a lemon. And so he said like, you know, that sour face that you make when you bite into a lemon. If I told you, Hey, make that sour face, you'd be acting and you wouldn't feel it. But if I told you, imagine slicing into a lemon and what would the aroma feel like? Or what would it smell like? Seeing the juices drip down and now slowly bringing that lemon to your mouth. It's almost automatic that you start to react in that way. So when you're telling a story with specificity to an audience, even if they haven't gone through it before, they're able to almost put themselves in your shoes and feel the feelings in a way that wouldn't happen if you were just saying like, I went here and then my boyfriend got hit by a car and then we were in the hospital. Like the feeling just isn't there (laughs) compared to the examples that you gave. Does that sound like what you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, I think everyone in the audience, including me at this moment, everyone listening, our mouths are watering over the (laughs) lemon exercise. And it's exactly that. My husband is reading a book by Mary Lou Henner, this actress, and she's got one of those memories that she can, you can ask her like October 31st, 1987, what happened? And she'll know like what time she woke up. She'll be able to tell you not just a general story, but she'll know exactly what happened that day. She's got one of those really special memories. And so she's talking about acting and she says that so often people will think like, oh, I want to act like I'm drunk. So they act like a drunk person. But the reality is when you're drunk, you don't act like you're drunk. You're actually trying to act like you're not drunk, usually is the case. (laughs) And so there's a big difference between parody, which is I'm going to make fun of a drunk person and then acting like I'm actually drunk. And it, it reminded me of what you were saying a little bit of this idea of it isn't about trying to get the audience to know exactly what you were feeling. That's not the point. The point is to get them to a place where they would feel the same thing because the whole point of telling a story is about 
influencing them or motivating them or giving them a reason to change, that doesn't happen because they feel bad for you. That happens because they feel bad for them and they realize they want something different. It doesn't happen because they hear your story and they say, wow, she was so hopeful. How amazing for her. It happens because they feel hopeful about something they want. That's why I think storytelling can be so powerful is because it can give people motivation. And the root of motivation is give people a reason to move. And a reason to move is always our own. And so great storytellers who can tap into each person's own motivation, own reason to move, I think those are the ones that change the world. So how do you get from that point of knowing that there's a story there and actually to the point of sharing it in a way that transforms the audience? Because that was the hardest part for me when I was writing that speech was writing the details over and over again. And I found meaning through the process. So do you have any tips for basically connecting the facts to the meaning in a quicker way that's actually duplicatable that people can actually use? Yeah, I think there's a couple things. One is that in the exploration, this isn't the fast way. I'll give you the fast way in a second. One of the things to do is to explore the story from multiple angles. So imagine you're you telling the story. It's about me and it happened to me and here's what was going on. Now imagine you're someone else in the story and you were telling it. What was going on for them before and after and during? And often what you'll find is, oh, there's another angle here. Oh, there's another way to shape this. You likely in front of the audience are going to tell the story from your perspective, but it becomes much more rounded when you look at it from other perspectives. So one of the things I'll often do when I'm working with someone or coaching a team or leading a workshop is to say, hey, so let's take this story. You're going to write your version of it. Now let's go back and let's start it two years before. How would the story change if we started it earlier? And what's amazing, Melissa, is that almost always people can do that. And it's like, oh, there's a different story here than I thought, simply by going further back. Or I'll tell them, then I'll have them take that and I'll have them tell it from another person's perspective. If there's an antagonist in the story, tell it from their perspective. And it's often interesting to say, okay, I'm not going to tell the story as my mom, who was the villain in the story maybe, but I did understand more what was going on and now I could go shape my experience in it. So those are a couple of quick ideas. The other thing about looking at a story someone wrote, I think is one is it's almost better to stand up and walk around and talk it into your phone. I do these sessions called stage to page, which is the opposite of what we normally do. We normally try to sit down and write out a speech. And it's so, I find a lot of times when I read a speech like that, or when I hear someone give a speech like that, it rarely sounds like a real person. Like they all of a sudden start becoming like Madonna, where over time they slowly become more British and formal because we tend to <laughs> write that way. We write with periods and commas and things like that, but we don't speak like that. And so I find often storytelling is much better if you take an idea and you say, okay, what's the point of the story? What's the moral of the story? How do I want this story to end? And now let me go try to weave it. And I'm just going to walk around, record myself. I like an app called Otter, which does the transcription and the voice at the same time so that if the transcription is wonky, you can go back and listen. And then kind of walk around and hear what it sounds like. And then looking at that and saying, okay, I need to understand five specific things about this story. One, what is the point? That's the moral of the story. Don't start a story if you don't know what the moral of the story is. This is where storytelling falls off track quickly is it's like, I don't exactly know what the moral of this story is or the point of this is. The second thing is to start with the ending. So think about how does the story end? What's the happily ever after? When is it going to end? Is it going to end today? Right now in this moment, is this the happily ever after? Or is it going to end 10 years ago when the story ended? So have a really clear idea. I just was watching the new movie, Judy starring Renee Zellweger and telling the story of Judy Garland. Well, the story of Judy Garland could have ended in lots of places. It could have ended after her death. It could have ended in the hotel 
hotel room where she died. It could have ended 30 years later when you know something was going on for Liza. It could have ended in lots of ways, but they decided to end it at a specific point because they knew where it was ending. They could then decide, okay, well, what needs to go into this story so that Judy can earn the ending? Because in a great story, we want the hero of the story, we want the character in the story to earn the change, to earn the ending. And so know your point, be really clear on where it's ending. And now you can go back to the beginning and say, based on that ending, what needs to go into this? How can I make it clear what I wanted or what this character wanted, what they were all about, who they were? And then how can I poke some conflict and things in them? And the conflict is always, the question I always think is good to ask yourself is to say, what was the belief that needed to change for this character? And that is where I often find we find the most interesting conflict because what we think is conflict is like, well, I really wanted a bottle of water, but the road was closed. And so then I had to go on a different route. No, that's not the kind of conflict that moves an audience. The kind of conflict that moves an audience is the kind that challenges what you believed and forced you to change. And then leads you to a certain turning point where you finally change your thinking, you finally change your belief, and then you get the happily ever after. That's the quick way. If I was working with you and we had 20 minutes to nail a story, that is what I would do with you. So going back through your life, what is a story that has really shaped who you are that basically changed your own belief that you tell today? This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, (laughs) and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. What is a story that has really shaped who you are that basically changed your own belief that you tell today? I think one of them, one very specific one that I remember, and I was just talking about this the other day. I was in high school and we didn't have a lot of money. I lived in the middle of the desert and my whole family worked at Pizza Hut, by the way. We all worked at Pizza Hut together. I lived with my grandparents. So my grandma, my grandpa, my uncle, my sister, we all worked at the same Pizza Hut all through high school, which was kind of like at the time, like it's fun now. And I look back at it and I remember having fun, but I also remember how like not normal that is for most people (laughs) that everyone was working at Pizza Hut in the middle of like nowhere. So we didn't have a lot of money, needless to say. And I was always really smart in school. I always was really focused and did the work and showed up for it. And so I had this opportunity to go to Washington, D.C., for this National Youth Leadership Forum thing. And we were going to get to go to the Supreme Court and we were going to get to do all these things. But it was pretty expensive. It was, you know, a couple thousand dollars for the program. 
And then I had to fly there. And then I had to like wear a suit and I did not own a suit. I don't even know that I owned a tie because we lived in the desert. So it was hot. I was never wearing a suit. And so we had to wear a suit to the Supreme Court. We had to do this and that. And I just didn't have the money for it. And I really wanted to go. I thought this could be an opportunity. So what do I do? And I remember feeling really sorry for myself. I was probably sitting in my room listening to a Reba McIntyre album, feeling super sad. And, and my grandma came in and she's like, so what's going on? What's happening for you? And I was like, well, I just, you know, I can't go and I won't be able to afford it and blah, blah, blah. She's like, okay, so how could you afford it? What could you do? And I was like, well, there's not enough time for me to save the money. Like, even if I saved all of my tips from Pizza Hut, it's going to take me a long time to save the money to go here. And I don't have anyone to ask for the money because no one that I knew and no one in our family had that kind of money. And so I don't know that I can do it. She's like, okay, well, let's think. What could you do? Because you have a choice in what story you want to tell right now. You could tell the story of, well, woo was me. I couldn't go. And so I didn't get to do this thing. Or you could tell the story of, I figured some stuff out and I made it happen. And so we did car washes at the Pizza Hut. So we were like washing cars on a weekend. Me and my sister and my friends would wash cars and save money. And then I went around to all of the clubs in town. So like the Rotary Club and the Kiwanis and all of the Chamber of Commerce. And I talked about why it was important for people from our town to go experience the world. And those people coming back were going to make our town better and what that would mean for my high school, what that would mean for our community, and that I promised to come back and talk about the story. And I was able to raise the money because all of those people believed in the story as well, that if we go out and see the world and we come back to our towns, that we make them better. And they believed in that. And I was able to raise the money to go. And I went to DC, captured all the things, came back and told the story to them. And I think of that often because I think of how much we get stuck. We get stuck thinking that this story that I'm in right now, that I'm writing, it's destined to end a certain way. But the great thing I think that that story points out to me is that we have the pen in our own hand. And we certainly can't control what happened. I couldn't control the fact that we didn't have the money. I couldn't control the fact that we all worked at Pizza Hut. And I could have been mad, and I could have been embarrassed, and I could have been sad about it. I could have cried in my room. I could have said, well, people like me don't get to do things like that. And that's what I was doing until my grandma kind of smacked me in the head. She didn't actually smack me in the head, so don't don't call anybody on her. But I could have been writing that story, and, and I realized in that moment with her help that I had the pen in my own hand. And I couldn't control what happened to me, but I could control what I did next, and I could control what I made, what happened to me mean. And I think about that a lot because that was a big turning point for me. I went to DC and I realized like, oh my gosh, I could do all of these things. I think it was the first time I'd ever been on a plane that far across country. I'd never gone that far before. I grew up in Southern California, I'd never went that far. And so for me, seeing that opportunity made me realize we can write our own stories. I can relate so much. I think my own story is the only thing that really helped me get to the other side. But it's interesting because I didn't have the perspective quite yet in the middle of it to say, hey, I should handle this right from here. So I ended up kind of in victimhood for a while. And I think that's what happens when you don't take control of your own story. Suddenly life is happening to you. Your circumstances become you. You identify with those. And then you recreate more and more stories that fit this image that you've created because you didn't take control of it. You let everything else control it. And when I decided, okay, the only way that I'm going to get through this where it's even worth living is if I pick up the pen to kind of pick up on your analogy, if I start writing this in the way that I want it to be written, and suddenly I was able to find meaning in some of the most terrible things that happened. And now those things that happened to me have helped me connect with 
tens of thousands of people from across the world. So it is so powerful when you see that you can control how you write this. And there's always going to be outer circumstances that affect you that might bring feel like it's a punch to the stomach or it brings you down or it's setting you back. But a lot of times that's just the obstacle to get to the next chapter. So I love that. But what's funny too, though, is now that I'm getting the hang of it, well, now that I live my life this way, sometimes I can be in the moment and say, well, what am I going to choose next that's going to create the best story? And even like, well, doing this one will make a better story. How do you balance the finding meaning from your past stories and using stories to step into your future? I want to say one thing as well. I was listening to your episode with Pat Flynn, and in the intro, you were talking about your path to creating this podcast. And for me, that was a perfect example of what you just said of realizing, okay, I want this thing. So if that's the thing I want, what does a character like me do to get that thing? You know, I'm getting ready to start a podcast as well. And so it was so inspiring to me. I just want to say that to you, Melissa, you sharing that story in the intro to that Pat Flynn episode of you creating this show for yourself and for all of us, honestly. And so that was a moment where you did exactly that. You picked up the pen and said, okay, so if I want to be the kind of character who has a podcast that lots of people listen to, love, and learn from, what does that character do next? And you did all of those things. And I just want to say kudos to you because that's super inspiring for so many of us. I know not just me. Thank you. I think as far as the other part, there's so many things in there. I mean, and I don't want to discount and say, hey, everybody, it's as easy as sit down and change your perspective and you can have a new story. I realize that there are real issues out in the world, that there are painful things happening to people, that there is work that needs to be done in so many places. So I don't want to minimize anything that anyone is going through and say, oh, sit down and grab a pen and write a new story, everybody, and all the things troubling you will go away. That's not true at all. And I realize that. I do think that even in those cases, even in a therapeutic environment, there's probably something really beneficial about sitting down and saying, okay, what is going on right now? What are the facts? What's actually happening? What do I know to be true? And you said it earlier, this idea of visioning. What do I want to create? Where do I want to head? Because I think sometimes we get so confused and lost and we think everyone else is living the dream. And one of my mentors, Ari Weinzweig, he always says, People say to him, oh my gosh, you're living the dream, dude. And he's like, well, whose dream is it? <laughs> you know. And he's like, I'm living my dream, I guess. And sometimes my dream sucks, but it's my dream. But I don't know that I'm living your dream. And I think that we see that so often, especially like our glossy social media celebrity-driven world where we think, ah, they're living the dream. And the reality is they're possibly living in a nightmare. And I think that if we don't sit down and think about what is the story we want to create? What is the story we're creating now? And realizing that what happened to you is just what happened to you. It does not your story. Your history is not your story. I think that's so true. A lot of times I'll do this exercise when I'm working with people in a retreat or something like that, and we'll map out, we'll get long pieces of paper, and we'll do a timeline on it. And they're, they're just timelining their points in their life. And then we look at it and it's like, well, there's all these other things that happen to you as well. So what were more? We keep going deeper and deeper. And we realize that like that's just a timeline of things that happened. It's not your story. You get to decide your story. And some of the things are hard to deal with and some of them are easier. But I really do think it's about sit down and look at it objectively and look at yourself as a character in this story and say, okay, well, what is that person doing that's keeping them locked in this loop? Like, like you said, sometimes we create the challenges for ourselves. 
And what would the character do to be different? Like you did actually, Melissa, with the podcast of, okay, I want to be a person who has a podcast that is in the top and that people are listening to and, and is really getting great guests on. I want to have people like that. So what does that person do and how can I do more of that? And I think it's it sounds very simple. It's probably very difficult. I know for me, it's been very difficult, but it is the one thing that I think we, we do have some power over to sit down and kind of say, how does that character act to earn the ending that I want them to have? True. And I think that's how we change so much of our self-image even. I did an mm. episode a while back with somebody named Elizabeth Benson, and she was talking about she basically lost a significant amount of weight. And so for her, it was so difficult because she had never lived like what she called a thin person or a healthy person. And for the first part of her journey of weight loss, something switched in her mind where she just started saying, what would a healthy person do? What would a healthy person do? And through repetition, as hard as it was at first, eventually she created a habit which became a new self-image. And once she started sharing what she was doing, it drilled that down even more. So suddenly she went from pretending to be a healthy person and like faking being a healthy person, which led to healthy choices, which led to a new self-image of a healthy person that then teaches other people how to be healthy. And it's just incredible how sometimes shaping what that character needs to do to get there can become who you are because it's our actions that reinforce what we believe ourselves to be. So that's why so many people are like, well, affirmations don't work for me. Yeah. If you're sitting there doing <laughs> affirmations in the mirror about, I am a strong, confident woman, or I am healthy and I'm living a healthy life. And you're not doing any actions to reinforce those affirmations that you're giving. Every action that you're doing is discrediting that. And it's creating not only a self-image of keeping the current self-image that you have, but it's decreasing it even more because now you're not only not healthy, but you're also not somebody who can follow through and all these other things occur. So having an alignment with what you believe you are and the story that you're creating through your actions is really important. It's so interesting that you say that too, because if you think about it, if you think about a film or a TV show or a book, or even watching a person on stage tell their story, we didn't watch a movie where they just sit and talk about what they would do. That would be so boring. We learn who the character is by watching them do things. They never actually tell us. This is one of the things all the time when I work with business people on storytelling, whether it's, you know, they're going to get on stage and talk about themselves and their business and what they do, or whether they're doing it on a video or on their website. The places where we watch the most compelling communicators on television, on movies, in books, they never tell us who they are. They don't ever say, I'm trustworthy. I believe in great customer service and support. They never say those things. They don't. They show us. We watch them do things that make us say, oh, wow, that person is really trustworthy. Oh, that person, even though they're doing horrible things, wow, they're a really good person because look at how conflicted they are with it. And the same thing happens for us with ourselves, I think. The more that we kind of sit and say, I'm this kind of person, I'm this kind of person, but we don't actually do the things. I actually think that there's probably some danger in there where we're creating this dual version of ourselves. And one of them we love and one of them we hate because we're like, oh, I love the version of me that's sitting in the mirror with the fog saying how wonderful life is. And then I leave this room and there's this other side that I hate and that I do all these things. Again, if you look at where the best storytelling is, it goes back to what we said earlier. If someone woke up and said they were telling a story and it was like, oh, I walked around the room and I was so scared. Was scared like what? We want to see it. What did being scared feel like? What did that look like? What did you do? How are you feeling? Tell us more about that. 
And I think that same thing is the stories we tell ourselves. We need to do the same thing that Elizabeth did, which is tell yourself a new story. And understanding the end, I would imagine that she probably had an end goal of like, what does a healthy person's life look like? And then it's like, great, now that I know what the resolution is, how do I work backwards into that? And that's what great storytellers do. Right. And it can also open the door to all these other different decisions. Like it might start with eating, but then that story that you tell yourself about what would a healthy person do filters into how you move your body and how you speak to yourself and how you treat others. And so it's funny because when I became vegan, it actually helped so much in my indecision because I used to be the type of person that (laughs) would go and say like, well, I don't know. What's the best thing on the menu? Okay, I need 22 minutes to figure this out. And I was like <laughs> weighing all the ingredients. And then I became vegan. And oftentimes there's one or two things on the menu and it narrowed down my choices. And the more I discover about myself, whether it's my values, whether it's the purpose that I want to be living or the legacy that I want to leave in my life, the easier my decisions become because then I'm able to look through it through the lens of, who I'm creating. But it's also funny because I just posted on Instagram the other day how I was talking to an old friend from college. And part of my growth, I went through a lot of crap back in my 20s. And I made a lot of really terrible decisions. I almost ruined my life uh, along with outer circumstances. And then I grew out of it and I'm really proud of who I've become. But I didn't realize that there was a big part of me that almost had shame for who I used to be because I started identifying with the fact that I made all these mistakes back in the day. And I met up with a friend from college and he wants me to be an advisor for his company. And I was kind of surprised because I haven't spoken to him in like 15 years. But when we were talking, we had this long conversation and he was just like, you know, I'm just reminded about how amazing of a person you've always been. And it snapped me out of this terrible self-image I created around my college years just because I was making mistakes (laughs) like a lot of 20-year-olds were doesn't mean that I was a terrible person. So we also have to be really careful about how we're crafting our stories and what images we're, even if it's not the one that we're holding on to that we are now, the one that we've created for our past. It's so good. It's so interesting, right? How like pernicious and dangerous that can be of looking back and saying, looking at things from one container, looking at who you were in college from one container and saying it was only this and realizing that actually there's thousands of stories about that. There's the story you are currently telling yourself. There was the story that back then you were telling yourself, which is different than the one today, I'm sure. And then there were thousands of stories that everyone else was telling. And it's really interesting sometimes to say like, oh, I wonder what all of those could have been. It's a dangerous thing if it's left untouched. Like I think with you, the idea that you said of like, when I look back, I can look at it with a different perspective now because this person said that to you. And I think there's a lot of power in doing that. I would imagine since this was said to you, you've also gone back and looked at it from a different lens. Definitely. And it just reminds me about how you said in the very beginning of this, how when you're really fleshing out a story, ask, what was it like from this person's point of view? What was it like from that person's point of view? And so many times we get caught in whatever story that we're used to telling, and we don't realize that there are a hundred different ways that we can tell <laughs> that same story, which is why people say now you hear more often like living your truth rather than living the truth, because sometimes 
there's like the truth of what happened, but as far as the meaning that it's creating can be different for each person. So instead of asking like, well, which one do I feel like relates to me the best right now? It's like, well, which one creates what I want to create in this life? Which one makes me feel empowered? Which one motivates me to step into who I really want to become? Does that make sense? Yeah. And if that moment, right, if that moment is the moment where the character, you in this case, when the character was being challenged to change the way they believed, then what was that about? Because if you think about even in a great script or a great film, a great book, the characters go through stuff. I say this a lot when I look at business stories. Someone will say, I'm going to tell case study. I'm going to talk about a client. I'm going to talk about my business story. And it's often like, one of the big challenges is this was going on and then I found the answer and here's what everything looks like today and it's all perfect. And it's like, no, 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 no. I want to hear like, what's some stuff you went through? What's some stuff that changed the way you believe? How did you used to be? And then something changed. What were you thinking then? Why did you do that differently? And for you, that period of time that initially you looked back on and, and you were telling a darker story for, what I find interesting about it is to say, what was that about? Because there was a reason. And I think there's interest. There's probably so many interesting stories you could tell where those moments were about you changing a belief, were about giving you the ingredients so that at some point in the future, you could change the belief. And again, if you and I were working on how to tell this story live, that's what I would want to focus on because that's the thing the audience can learn from, not what you did, not what happened to you, but what changed? Why did that happen to you? And what beliefs were being tested? Because that's what we can learn from. And I, I think it's so fascinating to do that and really fun to figure out how to tell the story because you can take the same thing. I always say that a lot of things can be true, but for each of us, there is often just one truth. And true and truth are not always the same thing. And I think that's what great storytellers do is they find the truth in the lessons. That is actually what writing that keynote helped me to come to was the biggest belief that changed for me was my self-worth and like finding my own love. And that is why I made so many mistakes across the board was because I wasn't valuing myself and I was putting everybody else's needs and wants and desires, not only above my own, but I was identifying with them thinking, this is what (laughs) everybody else wants. This must be what I want too. Or this is the path that looks like success for these people. So this must be the one I need to go on too. And it's funny because for a really long time, when I was going through all of this crap, life came at me from so many different angles. My mom kept telling me, like, you need to write a book. And I make the joke that I would say back, like, there's no ending. Like, there's no through line even. It's like chicken soup for the screwed up soul. Every chapter is a completely (laughs) different story. Like, it's just like, who is this girl who's not learning her lesson? And so it was that one lesson. I was just looking for the wrong thing. So I think that for a lot of us, though, we don't see the ending because we're in the middle of our lives and in the middle of our own story. So before we get to the end of our life and we're laying on our deathbed and somebody says, well, what is the story that your life told? How do we find that resolution enough to share it or create purpose from it before we get to our own end? I mean, I would really say two things. One is to do that exercise where you take a big old piece of paper. I really do think it's got to be on paper. I just don't, I don't think a computer works the same way. A big old string of craft paper and you start before you were born, like start like 10 years before you were born because so much of our stories are much deeper than the day we took our first breath on the planet. So you start 10 years before you were born and then you take it and you go 10 years from today 
And then you just plot out every year what happened, what was this year about, what things occurred to you, what do you remember? Because the things we remember, it's interesting. We sometimes think that memory is about nostalgia, that it's about like, oh, I remember that little thing. What science is leaning towards more and more is that our memory is actually really based on trying to help us in the future. Like most of our memory is dedicated to trying to remember to do something, trying to remember to not touch something hot again. Because like when we touch like a hot stove when we're little, our reaction, our reflex, that's just natural. Like we touch it and it's like, oh my gosh, that's, you know, just our brain working. Remembering that you touched it so you don't touch it again, that's memory at work doing its job, which is to help us from not doing something again in the future. And sometimes we have to do something several times, like you said, Melissa, in your story, you have to do something several times to get the lesson. And so what I think is interesting is to timeline it and really outline all the things that happened. What do you remember? What was going on? Because there's some kind of not just truism in that, there is truth in the things you remember. So that would be one thing I would say is to really look at that, go 10 years before, go 10 years from now, and then everything in the middle before and after you kind of outline and you start to identify what's going on, what's going on. You could even do like this two forks thing that I'll have people do sometimes where the moment that is today and then to the 10 year version, they do two different ones. If they changed one core belief and did something, what would happen? If they believed they could be the kind of person who did a podcast that was focused on X, Y, and Z and had great guests and was reaching lots of people and doing these things, what would that life be like? Let's play that out 10 years. And what if they continued to believe they weren't a person who could have that podcast? What would that one look like? And now let's look into that. That would be one exercise. And the second one is to think of if this was a movie or a play and everything that's happened to you so far that was just the first act. We love a second act. We love second acts in pop culture and film and everything. We love the second act where things change. So if everything that happened to you before was just the first act, then what would the second act look like? If you just suspended belief for a little bit and said, okay, if all of that was only the first half of this thing, the first half of this show, then what would the second half be about? And how would what happened in the beginning relate to it? Because one of the challenges sometimes that happens, and I think it's what you were picking up on with the affirmations in the mirror thing of like, I am a bold, brave man. I tell my story to the world. I think what happens there is that it doesn't feel based on the first act anymore. So it's a second act that has no connection to who we used to be. And I think cognitively, we recognize there's a problem there because if you watched a movie and it was two hours long and the first hour was all of these things happening and then the second half was like a completely different movie, you would be like, what the heck is going on? What is happening in this movie? I don't even understand the second half because it's not related to the first half at all. That I think happens to us individually when we start to do these affirmational type things, which, which are one ingredient in a healthy life. It is one ingredient, I will admit that. But I think what happens when they sound so different than the first act is that we're like, well, wait, how do I connect that? Because that doesn't even look like the same person. And I think what we have to do is we have to be able to look at our first act and say, all of that did happen to me. And for me to be able to write the second act the way I want, to have the story I want to tell, I've got to somehow connect my lessons and my learnings to what happened in the first act. And I think it's a really interesting exercise to play, how could you do that? How could you make your first act support what happens for your second act? Agree totally. And the more that we bring that awareness to not only the way we're telling our stories, but how to align our thoughts, our beliefs, and our actions, the more clarity we're even going to find about who we are. Because I think that is the biggest mission in this life is to find clarity on who we are, develop that relationship with ourselves, because then we're going to be leading from the inside out instead of 
making the mistake I did and letting everybody else's thoughts and feelings and missions drive my behavior. And that's not how you find where you're going to really ignite your soul the most. So for people who are out there that are really want to help find more clarity in their own stories that they're telling, where is the best place for listeners to connect with you online? So I've, I actually have this really cool workbook I made. So I'm easy to find everywhere. I'm just Mike Ganino. Once you spell Ganino, I'm usually the one that shows up. It's just G-A-N-I-N-O. MikeGanino.com, Mike Ganino on all the socials. I love Insta, so find me there. But I've also got at MikeGanino.com slash storycraft. There's this whole outline around like, what are the five core stories you need to be able to tell? And how do you actually shape them with a bunch of prompts and things too? And so that's available for everyone. It's <laughs> When I first was doing my new website, Everyone was like, oh, you need an opt-in. You need to give people something. And I was like, okay. I didn't realize that was supposed to be like a one-page like template or something. So I wrote like a 20-page workbook. So it's quite detailed. If you're brave enough to dive in and start to uncover those stories, I'd love to hear about it too. So, so stay in touch and let me know what you're doing if you do that. Well, thank you so much for everything you've shared. It's been so great diving into your story. And I mean, I know I've gotten a lot of clarity, so I'm sure so many other people did too. Thank you so much for having me. It's awesome to talk to you today, Melissa. All the links from this episode will be in the show notes at mindlove.com slash 118. I'll also link to my interview on Pat Flynn's podcast, Smart Passive Income, that was recorded just five months into Mind Love when it was still just a baby. And this week, I want to know your story. I'm going to be on Instagram a lot engaging with you guys. So shoot me a DM with your biggest takeaway from this episode or the part of your story that you know was most transformational or is a big part of your future. And I'll send you a voice message back. So connect with me over on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. And some final thoughts. I wanted to share that even when you have a handle on your story, even when you think you know it, throughout your life, you might still discover things that you didn't see before. As we learn and evolve and we're subjected to different people and experiences, a lot of times we see our past through a different lens, maybe even a different lesson. And that's not only okay, it's beautiful. It's amazing. So when you're trying to figure out your story, whether it's for business purposes or just to connect more deeply with yourself, be soft on yourself. Have compassion. Understand that you might not see it all clearly right now or that the way you see it might change. Encourage yourself to be flexible and allow yourself to see things differently as new information comes along. That's what evolving evolution is all about. And try not to compare yourself with other people. It was funny. I was watching The Bachelor the other day. I know, I know. Guilty pleasure, but... For some reason, I could just keep pouring another glass of wine and watching The Bachelor week after week. Well, Kelly was talking about how she doesn't have this big reveal or this big sob story to share with Peter. Your value doesn't come from your pain. It comes from you. You are born with it. You are born worthy, just as worthy as every single other person on this planet, just as worthy as Oprah. A lot of people need that pain in order to connect with themselves, but that doesn't mean that it's a necessity. We all have pain in different ways. It could be a bad breakup. It could be losing someone that you love. It could just be that your whole life, you've been trying to figure out how to manage your finances. <laughs> we all have different ways to learn in this existence. Our souls seek different challenges, different struggles, and none of them is better or worse than the other. It doesn't make you a better person because you struggled harder. 
You can connect with people and add value and be a teacher and a healer and a mentor, whether or not you have that big thing. And a lot of times that just comes from whatever you've overcome. It could be figuring out how to use the cricket for your crafting. So whatever your story, love yourself through it and have fun finding it. And thank you so much for letting Mind Love be a part of your story today. So if this was helpful for you, please rate and review. Share this with somebody who needs to hear it. Connect with me on Instagram at MindLoveMelissa. And thanks for giving your mind a little love today. And I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to MindLove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 